If you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 10. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10, but just kind of get context. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever that abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So the title of the message this morning is, A Practice of Fellowship. A Practice of Fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to be assembled here together. We thank you for each one that has come, and we pray as we look into the Word of God. I pray you should help me as I preach and teach from this passage of Scripture, give uh, words to speak, give understanding to hear and apply to life, and help us, Father, to glean truths that would help us and encourage us in our walk with you. And Lord, we do pray if there's any in our midst this morning who have never been born again, and that that would be made manifest, even as it says in this passage, that would be made manifest today in their heart and their life, and help them to realize their need to repent and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Have your will and way, and may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we said many times as we're going through this epistle, this letter of John's, 1 John, is about fellowship with God. You know, a lot of people say it's about assurance. You know, that, that's the theme. No, I believe it's about fellowship. And fellowship is what gives assurance. We have assurance with God when we walk in fellowship with Him. And if we don't walk in fellowship with God, we're not going to have assurance of His presence in our life. So, so it's about, and, it de- and so it speaks of walking in fellowship with God, and it demonstrates that not only is this possible, but it is something that God desires and is pleasing to the Lord. God desires to have fellowship with you and with me. 
That's a desire of the Lord. Uh, but walking in fellowship is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. There are some requirements that must be met. You know, if you're going to have fellowship with anybody, there are some requirements. There's going to be some expectations from each other. And the same is true with God. So there's some requirements that must be met, some conditions of fellowship based on the commands of God. You know, God doesn't change. He's forever the same. Therefore, if we're not in fellowship with him, as maybe we once were, then it's not God that's changed. It's we that have. And so as we think about this this morning, a, this fellowship or a practice of fellowship, uh, we notice in, in the first three verses that we are the sons of God, and that is a present tense. That's a present reality. We are God's children. If, we've been, if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior from sin, repenting of our sins, then we are a child of God. And there ought to be a desire to be more like him, as verse 3 says, to purify ourselves even as he is pure. And, so, and then he goes into this thing about this practice of fellowship. And I want to notice three things this morning, and then I have some sub-points, and I'm supposed to be done by 12 o'clock, I know, so we can make it over the, for dinner by 1 o'clock. But anyway, uh, first of all, I want you to notice the transgression of sin. I, I have three main points. The transgression of sin, the remission of sin, and the liberation from sin. So first of all, the transgression of sin, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. That word transgression means it's an, uh, uh, is an offense or a violation of law. You know, if you, if you go out here this afternoon, headed to Calvary, and drive down through Rollsville at 45 miles an hour, you are transgressing the law, the speed limit law of Rollsville. You're violating it, and that's the idea. But here we're talking, not talking about Rollsville. We're talking about God's law. Sin is a transgression of God's law, which is summed up for us, you might say, in the Ten Commandments, but is expanded upon throughout the Scriptures. God expands upon those, expands upon those Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and even in the New. You remember the Lord Jesus explained some of them in great detail for us in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, you know, you, it, you have heard it hath been said, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment. You know, you've heard it has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So he expanded upon those uh, in the Old Testament. And the significant thing about this is, this discourse concerning the law, is he prefaces that explanation with this. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, who were, the scribes and Pharisees were those that prided themselves in keeping the letter of the law. They prided themselves in knowing and endeavoring to keep the letter of the law, to live by it as strictly as they could. They said, you've got to have a greater righteousness than that. You know, Jesus is saying to those listening to him is you will not enter the kingdom of God or be saved by your own effort of keeping the law. 
It is a holy standard. It is a righteous standard. It is a perfect standard. A standard only God can keep. Only God can live by. Look at in Galatians 3, 10 through 11, it says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things. Who is it that of humanity that can keep all the law perfectly? It's impossible. It's a, it's a godly, a standard of God, not a standard that man can meet. In fact, it wasn't intended for man to save himself through the law. You know, James tells us in James 10, whosoever shall keep the law, whole law, and yet offend in one point. He might, you know, like the rich young ruler, he started quoting off, you know, all these have I kept my youth up. Jesus said, thou lackest one thing. Go sell all thou hast, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And all of a sudden he was very sorrowful. Now Jesus really saying, thou shalt not covet. What are you living for, rich man? He was living for his riches. That's where his security was. And he wasn't willing to, to cut the ties to that security of his riches and to, to put his security in Jesus Christ alone. See, if you can, you can keep all the law, but if you offend one, you're still guilty. You're still condemned before God. You know, as Romans chapter uh, 3 in verses 19 and 20 tells us, we know that what things serve the law saith, saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty for, before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law was, had a purpose. It had a holy purpose. It proves to us that we are sinners. It proves we're transgressors. And what proves that is the law. The law. That we're all guilty. We are, as it says in Ephesians in chapter 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature, our, our human nature, our natural bent is to be children of wrath, just like everyone else, even as others. That's what we are. But God. Verse 4 starts out, but God. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for the, for the but gods? But God who is rich in mercy. See, he has made it possible for the remission of sin. The remission of sin. If you notice in verse 5, he says, And ye know he was manifested to take away our sin. And in him is no sin. I want to notice three things here. First of all, the manifestation of Christ in a body. You know he was manifested to take away our sins. 
Christ was manifested. That word manifested means he's revealed. He's made known. God made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 1, 17 and 18, the Bible says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. In other words, he hath made him known. He hath made him visible in a body. You remember in John chapter 14, Philip saith, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Now, if you'd show us the Father, we'd be satisfied. And Jesus says, hey, Philip, have I been such a long time with you, and you know not the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I and my Father are one. See, Jesus, God made himself known or revealed to man through his Son, Jesus Christ. He'd been manifested in a body. A visible body, uh, just like you and I. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, in verses 5 through 10, Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So a body, Jesus said, A body hast thou prepared me. And it's through the offering of his body. That we are sanctified. See, God revealed to himself, he manifested himself to you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and, and, and uh, verses 1 through 3 says this, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in past times unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of a glory, and the express image of, a, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. That is, by himself, through his body, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So, he, God manifests himself in the person of Christ, through a body. You know, Peter, when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 22, says it to the men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus is Nazareth, a man, a man, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God by him, did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. You, you know about it. You saw the miracles. He was a man. He had a body just like you do. He was a man approved of God. That word approved means he was set forth among them to prove his person, to prove who he was. And he said to them, the works that I do bear witness of me. And if you believe not what I works, you can believe John and you can believe the scriptures. You can believe the voice that came from heaven. I have all these witnesses to me. And will you not believe the works that I do? See, the works were done. He was set forth among them, proven to be, his per, uh, to, 
to prove his person that he is the Son of God. See, it wasn't just a man that was crucified with two thieves on that day. It was the Son of God manifested in a body. And that body was manifest to be, secondly, a propitiation for our sin. Notice again, verse 5. And you know he was manifested. Why? To take away our sins. He was manifested to take away our sins. John the Baptist said in John 21, Behold, uh, John 1, 29, I'm sorry. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, that's new language in the scripture. Remember what we read in Hebrews 10, he says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, but behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, John said. Taketh away. See, he is the propitiation. In First John 2 and verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation has the idea of atonement. He atones for the sins of the whole world from beginning of time to the end of time. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, the Bible says this, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered. He's only going to be offered one time. That's already been done. He was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. In other words, not, he's not coming to atone for sin when he comes again. He's coming to judge sin and judge sinners. No, he came to atone for sin the first time and, and, to, and to bear the sins of many, but unto them that, that, that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So he is, he is, if you will, our sin bearer. You remember in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, 21, the Bible says this, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. And confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. You see, that goat was the sin bearer, was a picture of the sin bearer for the children of Israel. He prayed and he put all the, and he's actually confessing all the sins and the transgressions of the children of Israel on the head of the goat and then sends that goat away from them into the wilderness. Never to return. That's kind of a, that's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. You remember in Matthew chapter 25? In verses 31 through 46, Jesus is talking about when he comes to set up the kingdom. And he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. He's going to place the sheep on his right hand, and he's going to place the goats on his left hand. And, and he's going uh, to say to the sheep, 
enter into my kingdom. And, you know, there's a lot of things there, but it speaks of those who are saved who will enter into the kingdom. They will enter into the kingdom. To the goats, it speaks of those who are lost. And he's going to say to them, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, reserved for the devil and his angels. You know, Jesus became the, our goat, if you will. Our, do you ever hear this term? Scapegoat. Have you ever, you, were you ever somebody's scapegoat? You took the blame of someone else? That's what scapegoat means. It's a person who is blamed for wrongdoings, mistakes, or faults of others. You know, Genesis 40, 43 and verse 9, we have Judah becoming, if you will, the scapegoat. For Benjamin, he says, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. You see, Jesus Christ is our scapegoat. He took our sins. He became, if you can, under, can fathom this, he became cursed for us. For cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He took our curse upon himself. He was made a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, he is our propitiation. He takes away our sins. But we see a third thing here. We see the perfection of Christ. If you notice in verse 5, it says again, And you know he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Now, that is present tense. And the idea there is of in him is no sin. There is no sin in him presently. There never was any sin in him. Continual present tense is what that, the idea of that. A continual present tense. There, there never was any sin in him. There never will be any sin in him. There is no sin in him now and there never will be any sin in him. He is the same. He changes not. Uh, you know, we, we just, I just quoted for you 2 Corinthians 5.21. In whom is no sin. Peter said there neither was guile found in his mouth. There was no sin in him. Now, I want you to think about that. The in him is no sin. Now, because I'm going somewhere with this. Are you in him? If you are in him and in him is no sin and you are walking in fellowship with him, what should be happening in your life? There should be a perfection, a perfecting that Christ is doing in your life. If you're in him. If Christ, if Christ, who is our life, Colossians 3 says that he is our life, that he is our hope of glory. Verse 3 says that every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So, uh, you know, you, should you not be in a process of being perfected? That is becoming more like Christ, growing in his likeness and sinning less. 
The word takeaway in this context is defined by the Greek lexicon this way, is to cause our sins to cease. That is, that we no longer sin while, while we enter into fellowship with Christ, who is free from sin, and abide in that fellowship. You see, if we abide in the fellowship with Christ, we will not sin. You can't, you can't sin and be in fellowship with Christ. So the idea here is, is to, this, this, the, the idea to take away our sins is, is present, continual action. In other words, continue, it speaks of continuous action. I believe in the Greek they call that aorist tense. Don't quote me on that. I, don't, I can't remember. You know, it's been a while since I took Greek. But anyway, Bradley's about to find out. Uh, but, but it speaks of a continuous action. So, so it's to cause our sins to cease that we no longer sin while we walk in fellowship with the Lord. You see, the point the Lord is making here is this. When you walk in fellowship with God, you don't sin. See, you and I sin when we get out of fellowship with God. Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we could say that that God's light, there's there's no darkness in him, meaning there's no sin in him. We know that, that, I think it's what Habakkuk tells us, that God can't look upon iniquity. He can't look upon it. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, Cleanses, the, cleanses us from all sins. So, so here's the progression, okay? And presently, I'm in fellowship with God, and as I continue to walk in fellowship with God, God reveals to me things that are wrong in my life. When he reveals them, you confess them and continue in fellowship. I don't believe it's saying that we never sin. What he's saying is, when we're confronted... You know as well as I, if you've lived for the Lord any length of time, you, you're going you're gonna to find out that somewhere along your life, so, you're going you're gonna to come up to something and say, you know what, I should do this in obedience to what the Word of God says. To not, to not do it would be sin. God reveals things to you as you grow. And so as He reveals things to you, you obey them, and you continue to walk in fellowship. If you disobey at that point, you're walking out of fellowship and in sin. It becomes sin. So as we walk in the light, again, it speaks of a progression here. Uh, Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, this, is, this principle is taught throughout the Bible. 1 Peter 4 Verse 1, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that suffered in the flesh has ceased, ceased from sin. So you should cease from sinning. There shouldn't be any worse. Shouldn't be walking in sin. We should be walking in uh, 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 the will of the, will of the uh, 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 Father. 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So, so we're to, to arm ourselves with the word of God or the mind of Christ so that we would not live to, our, to please ourselves, but we live to please God, to do his will. Uh, Ephesians 4. You know, if you, if you look at Ephesians 4 and 5, there are, the word walk is used five times in those two chapters. And verse 1 in Ephesians 4 says, uh, uh, yeah, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So we're to walk worthy of the vocation. We have a, we have a business that we're involved in. That business is the business of our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, verse 17. Walk not. As other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. You know, God's given you a purpose. It's not an empty, uh, unfulfilling purpose. God's given you a purpose. Don't walk in the vanity of this world. Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given us for, uh, himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. So we're to walk in love. And verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So you need to be careful where you go what you, what, uh, about your, your, your walk or your, how you live. And so, you know, the, this, again, this is taught throughout the Bible. Philippians chapter 1 says... He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 9 through 11, he says this, This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. How are you going to be without offense? You continue to approve or act upon the things that God shows you are right. That's approving things that are excellent. And, and if you do that, you'll be without offense. Without transgression. Till the day of Christ. That's God's desire. He should be perfecting us. There should be a perfecting that's taking place in our life. We ought to be growing. Paul, Peter ends his uh, second epistle by saying, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It speaks of growth, a perfecting. So we see that perfection of Christ. And then thirdly, the liberation from sin. Now this is, this is the verses that many struggle with. In verses 6 through 10, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now, And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now let, let's isolate that verse. What If we isolate that verse by itself, who is saved? No one. No one. We've, all just, we've already just proven that we've all transgressed the law of God. So obviously... 
if we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture and, 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 and keep things in context here, it's not telling us if you sin, you're lost. If you sin one time, you're lost. Let's read on. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For a seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So if you, if you cannot sin, then are you, is the Bible teaching here, sinless perfection? In this, the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, there's a word that's used 12 times in 1 John. A Greek word is called koieo. And it's translated, it's used in this passage over and over again, but it's translated different ways. It's translated in verse, in fact, it's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it's translated do. In 1 John 1 and verse 10, it's translated we make. In 1 John 2 and verse 17, it's translated doeth. And 1 John 3 in verses uh, 4, uh, it's translated committeth. Verse 8, it's translated committeth. Verse 9, it's translated commit. So, in chapter 5, in verse 10, it's translated hath made. So, here, here, here's, here is we def, as we think about this word committeth, in verse 4 and verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. So, that's the word. It's translated poieo. That's the Greek word it's translated from. So it means to do or we make or we doeth or we committeth. Now, uh, words that we use today that might help us understand this would be habit or practice. Something we, or, you know, we, the doeth. Things we do. Habits we do. So we're talking here about a habitual doing. That's really the kind of the idea of this word committeth. It's not that I did this once, but I don't do it every day or every month or every year. No, it's something that I continue to do. It's a habit. It's a practice. It's a lifestyle. That's the idea of this word committed. And, for example, to, to help us maybe with this, go to 1 John chapter, not 1 John, James chapter 1 and verse 22. James 1 verse 22 says this, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, 
For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So he says here, we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. So if you're just a hearer, and there's no doing, the Bible says you're self-deceived. You're not really a child of God. You may be religious, but you're not righteous. Because your doing doesn't line up with your hearing. That's the idea. And that's really what First John is telling us here. Look, if you're committing sin, if you're committing sin, if that's your lifestyle, you're not righteous. You haven't been made righteous. You know, none of us are righteous on our own merits. We're made righteous. Christ was righteous on his own merits. He, he was our scapegoat. He was our sin bearer. He took our sin upon himself. And he, has, he made it possible for us to be made righteous in him. And so we are liberated from sin. We're set free from the burden of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We're no longer in bondage to it. <coughs> We've been liberated. Paul wrote to the Galatians. Galatians 5.1 says... Stand there fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not again entangled with the yoke of bondage. It was, they were, those Galatians were, were listening to the Judaizers say, Well, except ye be circumcised, ye cannot be saved. And Paul said, Circumcision is nothing. Circumcision can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Don't go back to under the law and try and live by the law. That's bondage. That's to live in sin. Stand fast in the liberty of Christ. And what keeps us liberated from the condemnation of sin is the work of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood. And you know, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. The law was a schoolmaster. To bring us unto Christ. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. We're under the master himself. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is the liberator. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Unquote. You know, in this modern age that we live in, we have lots of people that say, well, all that matters is in my heart. And they think they can just live any way they want. And ignore all the commands of God. That's a lie. We've been set free. That means we should no longer live in disobedience to the commands of God. No. We are set free to live in obedience to the commands of God. And there is liberty there. Look at James chapter 1 again. J James chapter 1, where it says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. 
and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. It's like looking into a mirror, that, which is the perfect law of liberty. You look into a mirror, and you see there's some things there you need to change before you go outdoors, and you make those changes. That's talking about the outer man. But verse 25 is talking about the inner man. You look into the Word of God, into the perfect law of liberty, that, the liberty that sets you free from the bondage of sin, and you look into that and, and, and you make changes in your life. You confess your sin and forsake it. And you live to please God. Go to Romans chapter 7. Paul illustrates this with marriage. The example of marriage. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. It's like the woman having a dead husband. Dead to the law. By the body of Christ. It was the body of Christ that was offered for a propitiation for our sin. So we become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruits unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work on our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And that's what Jesus spoke about when he, was, when he said, that, you know, It hath been said, Thou shalt commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman of lust, either hath committed adultery always in her heart. That's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. You see, and we have been married to Christ. We're no longer bound by the law. Any more than a woman whose husband is dead is no longer bound to that marriage. No, we've been liberated from sin. We don't have to commit sin. And to be in bondage to sin is to still be under bondage to the devil. Because verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Christ was manifested and set forth to be a propitiation for your sin so that you would be delivered from the bondage of Satan and the works of the flesh. No longer have to live in sin. In fact, the case is this. If you are a child of God, you cannot continue to live in sin. Notice verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. 
and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The word seed here is defined as whatever possesses vital force or speaks of a life-giving power. That is the Holy Spirit. Divine energy operating within the soul by which we are born again. So the Holy Spirit remains in us, and He's that divine energy by which we are born again. But He remains. He remaineth, it said. That word remain there, it means to dwell, abide, preserve. It's used 120 times in the New Testament, 68 times in John's writings, and 23 times in 1 John. 23 times in 1 John. Remaineth. So when the Bible says, this simply means this. When the Bible says he gives you eternal life, guess what? It's eternal life. It's eternal. He remains. His seed remains in you. When he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What did he mean by that? He meant he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When Jude says, and the Jude says by inspiration, we are preserved in Jesus Christ, what's that mean? It means we are preserved in Jesus Christ. We cannot be unpreserved. We've been born again. Can a person be unborn? I mean, you can't, you can die, but you can't be unborn. If you're a living thing, you can't be unborn. I mean, somebody may terminate your life, but you can't be unborn. So a child child of God, the idea here is the child of God cannot continue to live in habitual sin. For the life of God remains in him. And that power is greater and to persistence in we're going to find out in chapter 5 that if one persists in their sin, there is a sin unto death. God can shorten your life, your physical life. We'll look at that right a few weeks. But you cannot be unborn. And But John is saying here, look, a person's Life will manifest whether they are a child of God or whether they are not. What's Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7 two times? By their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 10, And this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness. In other words, if he doesn't have a practice of righteousness in his life, He's not saved. So what is being manifest in your life? Is it the life of Christ? Who is our life? If Christ is our life, and Christ is greater than all, should he not be manifest in our life? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what is being manifest in your life? Is it a practice of fellowship? 
which is a practice of righteousness, a habit of righteousness, or is it a habit or a practice of sin? Whatever is being manifest demonstrates what your relationship is or is not with God. 